Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Hunger Games. No, not really. <laughs> you all know what this is. This is it kind of felt like small council radio. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, if you haven't seen the title already, we're going to be talking about the U.S. Nationals that just went uh, down over the last weekend, uh, and we have on with us today Cyrus, Craig, and Brett is going to be on in about 10 minutes, late as usual, but, you know, uh, thank you uh, guys for uh, coming on. Yeah, yeah no problem. I am very happy to be here. Awesome. So... Uh, took a lot of planning to try to get all this together, so we're going to jump right into it because a lot of people are kind of just doing this on their break. I'm pretty sure all four of us are. So uh, we'll jump right into it. Um, so we're going to start off with uh, Cyrus uh, because I know you've got a little less time than uh, most of us. But, uh, you know, we saw that you took uh, you took third or fourth this weekend? Fourth place, yep. Awesome. And uh, so before we jump into, like, your lists and, like, who you played and all that, I uh, just wanted to ask, uh, what was the environment like, you know, being, like, one of the first, you know, 2021 tournaments in person, like, you know, how is the environment for you? And, you know, not only, you know, the location, which a bunch of us have been to, but just just the environment of the game system itself, how it's kind of developed. Uh, the environment was great. Uh, me and my buddy came up from Kansas City. It was about a seven-and-a-half-hour drive, and about an hour outside of town, we got an email that the uh, the tournament was going to be adjusted slightly uh, because I, I think that uh, the turnout wasn't going to be as high as, as they had expected uh, for various reasons. But when we got there and we started meeting some of the people, some of the best dudes I think I've ever met, in playing in any game system and it's it sucks because i have little time today to talk about it i could talk about this weekend for hours i had a blast uh i loved playing competitive 2021 uh even though i faced two night's watch players i I brought a list specifically against the night's watch so i felt like i had a decent shot uh and just the whole weekend was was great i love getting back into a competitive environment like that Awesome. And so with a lot of the controversy around 2021, did you feel that you had less or more fun than, you know, uh, the tournaments that you've done in uh, 1.6? Or do you think, uh, you think the, even though Night's Watch, you know, is Night's Watch, that, uh, you know, the adjustments that Simon has done has kind of obviously been uh, better for the, you know, the health of the game? I think I had more fun myself, uh, that especially with uh, with Rob being there from organized play and him helping us through some of the questions that we had and and, and, and some of the rulings. Uh, it was just great. And them even supporting the event with a huge just pile of prize support that they're wanting to get everybody back in the game with and sending out their back to play packs. I, I, I I think I probably had more fun this weekend than, than any other tournament that I've played in. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't tell you how disappointed I was. I was looking forward to this one uh, to kind of see, you know, uh, 
you know, the CMON staff and just kind of get back into the mix of things. So um, I guess, you know, without further ado, we can kind of jump into uh, your two lists. And uh, did you use each of them at least once? Uh, on the, the main nationals tournament, I only used my first list. Uh, my second list was kind of a backup, matchup dependent type list. But my primary one is the one that I stuck with for nationals. Okay, and uh, could you kind of run us through like your your anti night watch list and what what about it kind of helps helps you to get an edge over the night watch? Sure. So uh, ever since uh, we got the reveal for 2021, and I saw Roos Bolton, I, I'm I'm looking at him. I'm saying he's the best Lannister commander, and he's not even a Lannister commander. So I, I focused in on him because I love his addition of control and panic heals and throwing out tokens, and his attachment is just screams Lannister with spread spirit and intimidating presence. So I put him in a unit of guardsmen. I had a naked unit of guardsmen, and then I had two cavalry to make up for the fact that I didn't have range and I wanted to be able to reach out and touch someone. I had uh, Flayed Men and Knights of Casterly Rock. And I picked Tywin as one of the NCUs because he can absolutely neuter a Night's Watch unit by shutting off all of their abilities. You don't get any orders. And then his uh, hits and panic can weaken a unit of conscripts down to potentially one rank and keep them from healing up the unit. And uh, I followed that up with Peter because, you know, Peter and Pycelle because I needed more tokens. Nice. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, Justin is an on for this one, but Justin can definitely speak to the power of Roos, and Justin plays them in neutrals. You know, Roos and his ability to shut off abilities is so amazingly strong. I think people kind of underestimate it. That and uh, neutral commanders aren't a lot of people's go-to when they're theory crafting with factions. Uh, so yeah, Roos is definitely, uh, in my opinion, top tier, especially in the meta right now, uh, because you know we don't have 1.6 Walder anymore. Um, but uh, before uh, we jump into the rest of that, I forgot to mention one small thing is. Uh, I could be called out at any moment. If that happens, I'm going to probably just step away, and then I'll just let you guys kind of finish off the show. So that way we can still get sure. the show, you know, over, you know, throughout the whole thing. That way I don't have to cut it short. Uh, anyways, with that said, uh, so kind of walk us through your uh, your day, you know, uh, with your list and then your opponent's. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, the first day was the Take the Black Tournament, which uh, Craig won. Uh, and I finished eighth on that day. I went two and two. I tried to mix in my, my backup list, which was a Gregor list, and uh, it didn't really work out so so well for me. Um, and I ended up playing Chris Tran in round two, two and he trounced me, uh, which, you know, <laughs> which – set me back obviously but uh i I had a uh had a pretty good day day one and i I went two and two and i thought well you know this is this is probably a sign of of how things are going to go two and two is not bad 
and, and I would have taken it. But I get to uh, the second day, we got the Nationals tournament, and in round one I play Matt Beatty, who is an awesome, awesome dude. He uh, tell you how awesome a dude it was. He was voted for best sportsman in player's choice, and he got to take home one of the uh, weapons that was made. He got Oathbreaker uh, and got to take it home as the, as the player's choice. Could not have possibly gone to a better dude. I played him twice over the weekend, and he was just awesome both times. The first time I played him was during the Take Black tournament, and I, I got him. I got a major victory. Uh, it was like 13 to 4 or something, mostly because I ended up making five Gregor attacks in one round because <laughs> it was free attack, overrun, uh, uh, assault orders, assault orders, and then activation. And I needed every single one of them because he ran a Dragonstone Noble and uh, Champions of the Stag with their massive armor. The only damage that I was doing was with Gregor's free wounds. That's the only damage I was doing, and I needed every all five <laughs> attacks to be able to kill those two units. Uh, but I, I got him in that one. In round one, I faced him again, and he he almost had me. It was it was a really really close game, but I was able to beat him out. And I think the primary reason is he is not the type of player to sit on an objective all game, which I can appreciate. I, I understand. He charged his uh, Spanish unit into my Roost Guardsman to try to, to knock me off a point, and he didn't get hardly any wounds through, took a Lancer Supremacy, and took seven wounds in return for attacking wow. me. Uh, and that is pro- that's exactly the point that, that turned the game around and allowed me to win uh, round one. Uh, so, yeah, don't sleep no. on, on Lancer Guardsmen. Uh, we've been saying it all weekend. They're really good. I was going to ask, so what made you decide to not run the Gregor since you had done so well, in particular just against him? Uh, was it because you didn't think you were going to be able to pull that many attacks off all at the same time again? or? Yeah, that was absolutely part of it. The other part of it was the game mode. We played Game of Thrones round one, and that's more of a get-to-the-point-and-sit-on-it type objective. Uh, and then yeah. also me and my buddy Kurt that I drove up with, uh, I told him I wasn't really feeling – the Gregor list that much, he's like, well, then don't run it. <laughs> and I only brought to the tournament uh, from Kansas City, I only brought what I planned on playing instead of bringing all of my stuff there. And I instantly regretted it because as soon as I got there, I was like, man, I really wish I could change some things in my list, but I can't. I only, brought what, <laughs> I only brought what I was going to run. Uh, so I was kicking myself for that. But, yeah, that's why I stuck with Roost in round one. Uh, and it was a close – it was only a standard victory. I only think only beat him by, like, three points. But he could have had me in that one. Uh, but yeah, that was round one. Round two, I end up having to face Chris Tran again, who trounced me in the first game <laughs> with his Lannisters. Uh, but he ended up running Night's Watch, and I ended up feeling pretty comfortable because my list was, you know, supposed to uh, help me against Night's Watch. Except for round two, the uh, scenario was Here We Stand. Now I gotta say this: I don't really like Here We Stand. Uh, it caters to unless you're going to go out and try to table your opponent they're usually always close games you're hardly ever going to get major uh, victories out of it and your units are always coming back which i'm not a huge fan of it's like your unit gets to come back uh, every round uh but that was a super close game uh chris trend did not run 
an optimal Night's Watch list. Uh, he, he wanted to try out Vargo in a unit of uh, Ranger Hunters, and he was going after my Roost Commander because that's the only attachment that I have on the list. So in order for him to get his value out of Vargo, he, he wants to try to take out uh, Roos. And if he does, that drops three points of value that you have in a zone. So he was, he was zeroing in on it. And I was able to do almost like a queen sacrifice type thing where I actually put Roos out there where he could get to him. And he charged in with his hunters and killed Roos. And this is in round six. And the score is like nine to eight. He kills off Roos, and then he retreats back, but he's in position for my Knights of Casterly Rock to get to him. And I'm able to swing in my Knights of Casterly Rock into the flank of the Hunters and wipe them out, and that ends up making it, instead of a 9-8 loss, it turned into an 11-9 victory at the end because I was able to take control of that zone and a couple other zones that totally swung me the game. It could have easily gone the other way. Chris Tran is a tremendous player and I had to face him twice over the weekend. But uh, he, he got me in, in the first time, and I was able to sneak out a victory the second time. Nice. Uh, now on, was round yeah, two. On round, yep. Yeah, that was round two. Round three, after cause doing all of the math and that, how many points do I have in the zone and this quadrant here and that quadrant there, my brain was about fried. And then I get to play John Hurley, who is another tremendous player. And he had the cojones to bring Starks, and he had a great Stark list. Uh, and he was the only one to play Starks. And I'm, I'm feeling okay about it, but it's also uh, a Tully list, and I think I'm going to have a hard time getting through Tully Sworn Shields and, and Tully Cav, uh, Rickon with Shaggy Dog. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, and Flayed Men. So he's got all of this armor uh, and, I, and some pretty decent morale. I'm like, I'm going to have a hard time with this. But I had a plan. My opening gambit was to pop Tywin round two. And I gave the vulnerable and the hits to Shaggy Dog because I had marked him in Fire and Blood. So he would have been worth three points right off the bat. And even with the vulnerable, he ended up living with one one wound remaining. So now Shaggy Dog is powered up, and I'm thinking, ah, crap, I lost this game. But uh, John, rightly so, was playing really defensive with Shaggy because if he gets one more hit on him, that's going to be a pretty big swing. So he actually runs Shaggy Dog off to a corner of the table, and he's not really a major factor in most of the, the rest of the game. Uh, I'm on my back foot through most of the game, and it's another close one. If he gets a point, I get a point, and it's just back and forth. But there was a moment where I had marked his uh, Tully Cavaliers, and I had turned them off with my uh, Tywin ability. And I had a long bomb charge with Roost Guards. I need a five or a six to get into the flank, and they're marked by a couple points. And if I get the kill on the unit, that's going to be a six-point swing because it's a marked unit killing a marked unit uh, with two points on him. And I rolled a six when I needed a five or a six. So I got super lucky there. 
I got into the flank of the Tully Cavaliers, and I'm able to kill them. Six points go to me. John comes back, and it's the end of the. It's towards the end of the game, uh, and I ended up winning on paper. I ended up winning the game by one point. John comes back, and we go to talk about it, and he, he very well may have shorted himself a point, uh, and it may have ended on that round as a 10-10, with a potential of going to a round six, uh, but. But the, we turned in the sheet already, so we're not entirely sure if it should have gone another round or not. Probably it should have if he really shorted himself a point and we and we did the math. Uh, but I ended up winning a very close game against John Hurley, who was awesome. He ended up winning Best Painted Army and got to take home another one of the weapons that uh, that Simon uh, had made from Valyrian Steel. He got to take home Needle. And then uh, my last my last round, as we know was against Brett and his Night's Watch. And after those two close games that we had, my brain was totally fried because uh, <laughs> this is now after seven games in two days and two really close games against two really good players that could have gone either way and then maybe I should have lost both of them. My reward is to play Brett at top table uh, against his Night's Watch. Uh, and I had heard about his lists uh, earlier in the day. He also didn't run the the Night's Watch cancer of double crossbows and double conscripts. He did run one crossbow, but he had uh, uh, a curveball in there of a unit of the flayed men. Uh, we start the game, and uh, it was it was a pretty slow start. But he ran his flayed men up and tied up my flayed men. <laughs> in such a way that he could take pot shots at him with his crossbows. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, these guys are, are screwed. Um, and my, my, I made one, I made a mistake early on in deployment where I, it was, uh, it was winds of winter was the game mode. And I had uh Bruce and guards off to the side to go sit on an objective. But in this game mode, you don't get any points for sitting on objectives. So Roos was way off to the side, and he was a non-factor until late into the game. So my flayed men are in trouble, and my dice were my dice were hot. Brett's were hot. I was making all kinds of saves. Neither of us failed a panic check until later in the game. Uh, it was just a brutal slugfest back and forth with just hot dice and making saves left to right. I think we get to round three, and my flayed men are going to die. And that's going to free up his crossbows to turn and start taking out some of my other stuff. And that's when I see an opening. He had moved up his Othal conscripts towards the middle of the table. And my Knights of Castle Rock were really close by. If I can get his conscripts, I play a, the mission where you get two additional points if you kill the enemy commander. If I can kill that unit and surge forth back out of range of his crossbows, then I can take the initiative, and now I can maybe dictate this battle more on my terms. Uh, so I made the gamble. I, I, I pushed all in on trying to kill this unit of conscripts, and I popped Tywin. I turned off all of his abilities so he doesn't get hardened and get a, a, a free, uh, free blocks. I give all the hits, and I give the panic check. 
the four hits go through uh, without needing the vulnerable token, which was great. So the vulnerable token's still on him. The uh, panic check uh, goes through and he passes. And I panic, the, uh, I spend the panic token and he passes again. Like, damn it. So he's got eight wounds left on this unit, but I'm going to charge the Knights of Cashley Rock and I make it. I get all eight hits. He rolls his first set of uh, defense dice. He fails seven, leaves one wound remaining. Great. I spend the vulnerable token. All he has to do is not roll a six. And he rolls a six. So, uh, so Othel stays alive, and now we have the panic check, and he passes the panic check with boxcars. And at that moment, my soul died, because now my Knights of Casterly Rock are, are stuck in combat with his conscripts. They can't get out of, out of range, and now his other conscript can start serving as a battery to refill it. And... Uh, then, as expected, the flayed men died. His crossbows turned around and started firing at my knights. My, di- my defense dice were still hot. My, my knights probably survived longer than they should have. Uh, he killed Corrin to keep my unit of Lannister guards from being able to contest the, uh, the uh, uh, crossbows uh, to keep them from shooting in. And... At that point in time, I'm like, yeah, I think I've lost this. But it ended up not being over yet. I, I finally got my Roos guards back into combat and started contesting his uh, conscripts. And he shot into Roos's uh, guards. And, again, my dice were super hot. I think I only took two wounds from this shot, even though he was throwing seven, eight, nine dice a shot at me every time he would shoot with his crossbows. Uh, and I launched a uh, Lannister Supremacy back at him, and he ended up taking six wounds from a Lannister Supremacy on his crossbows, and that made him really concerned and a little bit more hesitant to, to, to keep shooting in with those because at that point in time I had marked his crossbows for two additional points, and if he had lost them, then that would have either put me in the lead or tied us back up. Uh but, you know, it ended up not going that way. Uh, a couple of his units were still alive, and all I had left at that point in time was Roos and guards, and I made the call to go ahead and retreat so I didn't take a major loss on the tabling. And at that point in time, we called it as a 6-4 victory to Brett. Um, so, yeah, it was a slugfest back and forth. I made a gamble and, and lost on it. But I am still I – was, I was happy to be there. I was happy to be in a position to play at top table. And I ended up going 3-1 and one on the night and taking fourth place. I think they had, like, they had to go to, like, a fourth tiebreaker or something to get everybody uh, lined up uh, for the final standings. But ended up being a great weekend. I couldn't be happier with how it went for me unless, you know, I won that hammer, which would have been totally awesome. But that's okay. Brick and Brick can keep it. Uh but yeah, that's how it ended up going. Nice. Yeah, it's funny, uh, you know, as you're mentioning all that, you know, when I had played uh at the last uh event that Family Time had, I went three and oh and then faced Brett last round 
in a secret mission, uh, uh, mission, you know, uh, I think it was Winds of Winter or Dark Wings, Dark Words, losing to then just my tiebreakers put me down to fourth place. It's just funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very it's, similar. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just a big old cheater. And, you know, since he's not here, <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> uh, um, he was he was brilliant. He's a, a great opponent. I think after the game was over, he gave me a big hug because I think he was relieved that he doesn't have to play into the Lannisters anymore. Because <laughs> uh, I think he was really concerned uh, 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 facing it because, uh, like I said, I brought it specifically to counter the Night's Watch, and if I had uh, been able to take advantage of that opening, um, I might have had him. But he's a great player. He had the perfect strategy because he tied up my flayed men right off the bat and just pot shot at them and pot shot at them. And, and that was absolutely the, the right move, and I didn't have an answer for it until that one moment. Uh, and, and it didn't work out, but uh, I, I was I was thrilled over the weekend. I got to meet some some great dudes, including Chris and Brett, who I've heard their content for for months, and I've, I've finally got the opportunity to to meet them. Uh, and Craig, Craig, Craig's okay. He's fine. I didn't get to play him though. <laughs> you dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Because <laughs> I don't think, even though my Gregor list was kind of made to take on a little bit of Targs, I, I think that he would have got steamrolled. Yeah, I wouldn't go yeah, that uh, You're a good goal. We'll, we'll get to it in a second, but Craig plays not a completely unorthodox, but a little unorthodox Targ list. So, But uh, yeah, I know you only have a couple minutes left. So what would you say are... Uh, let's say your your um MVP for your ruthless and maybe an honorable mention cuz i think i already know who your your MVP is so it ended up being uh Tywin he saved my bacon on more than one occasion uh by sh- by shutting off units and handing out his his hits and and, and panic i like i said i shut off uh Tully Cav to to knock them down quite a bit and I specifically brought him to shut down crossbows, but I used him in the game with Brett to shut down his conscripts to try to, to maximize my opportunity to try to kill them, uh, but it just didn't work out. But if you're worried about Night's Watch crossbows in your area and you're a Lannister, bring Tywin because he makes crossbows very, very sad. My uh, <laughs> honorable mention goes to, goes to Roos. He, he, him, and Lannister guards. You already don't want to hit Lannister guards, but he makes them where you, you almost have to ignore them, and that means they're only a five-point unit that you feel like you have to ignore, because if you hit them, and you take a supremacy check, he's got intimidating presence for additional minus and additional wounds, and spread fear if you fail that, which is also likely. Uh, to spread it to another unit to make them take more panic. So I absolutely love Roos, uh, but I'm probably I'm probably going to take a break and play some other things because I've played Roos Lannister exclusively for the past you know month or so, and then eight games over the last two days of, over the weekend. <laughs> so uh, yep. he's going he's going to go back on the shelf for a minute, but I absolutely love him. I think he's he's getting uh, overlooked a little bit. He's great. 
And that kind of goes back to one episode we talked about where, you know, for your commander, I think key units to put your commander in now that uh, commanders give you extra points for being on objectives is you either want to put it in one of the cheapest things possible and just sit on an objective for an investment of five, maybe six points that's super defensive that your opponent isn't going to want to attack, or you put it in something that can aggressively go off and take a more uh, an objective more further into the field either whether it be like the center objective or an objective over on your opponent's side the last thing you want to do is you know put your commander in this uh, you know seven eight point investment bunker that can't really put out any damage because now it's a lot easier for your opponent to just go oh all right i'll just let i'll ignore that thing i know it's giving you extra points but that's a lot of investment you had to go do that but like you said, a five-point guardsman. Yeah, or putting your commander in a purely offensive unit with no defense. Like, I love Gregor and Pyromancers, but they, they, they get blown away by a stiff breeze. It's, uh, it's uh, hard to justify, especially when you need to hold a point, if they can just charge in and knock the whole thing, uh, whole thing out. So... I think a good balance, especially in a cheap defensive unit like that, that can also do damage, uh, you know, unorthodox damage, but it's still damage, uh, is, is, is the right way to go. But I yeah. do have to go here. Thanks for letting me ramble. I really appreciate it. Had a great time. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so I will catch you guys later. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, so... Uh, with that said, uh, we'll jump right over to you, Craig, because I know you have roughly about as much time as he did. Uh, and, you know, um, I'll just start off by kind of asking the same questions. You know, I know you've played in a ton of in-person tournaments, you know, in 1.6 and even before that. Um, what, what's your kind of opinion about the 2021, you know, environment, whether it be uh, just the game system itself or, you know, just the environment of the people? Uh, as far as the people goes, it hasn't changed. They were great people before. They're great people now, um, Cyrus being one of them. Uh, however, as far as the um, the changes to the game modes and, uh, and units and all that, it took me a little bit of time to adjust, and I was a huge fan of 1.6. You know, I loved my training bin and ran them almost exclusively. And once that went away, I was a little bit sad. But fortunately, they provided me with uh, Targaryen Outriders that do the same thing but better. Uh, but overall, I think it is a better game system in that before it was just, who can alpha strike the other guy faster? And now I think, I mean, maneuvering and everything was always super important. But now I think it's it's even more important because games turn into a grind really quickly uh, where they wouldn't before. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you can definitely still, like, one-two punch things to to death, but it's a lot more rare, like, a lot more rare, and it usually has to be, like, a mismatch. You know, you can't just have, like, anything, you know, one-two shot anything anymore with, you know, ease now you kind of have to have like an awesome combo 
of like an attachment in something usually against something a lot more weaker with like no support. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, the game is definitely on the right track. Uh, I, you know, uh, some people have kind of complained over, you know, about some of our, you know, reviews of the new stuff, you know, and I want to just say on the overall of 2021, I think it is better than 1.6. Um, in my opinion, there's only, there's a lot of things that could be, you know, changed and everyone kind of has their own opinions on that. But personally, I think to make the game about as perfect as it could be, the list is like, you know, in the single digits across everything that if you change those things, you know, the game would, you know, there there'd be almost no complaining outside of, you know, the normal stuff people like to complain about. So, but yeah, I agree. Uh, from my experience, the game has just, uh, has just become that much more better. Um, so yeah, let's think, take us I through think it uh, your skill more. Yeah, agreed. Um, it definitely takes a lot more thinking, which is, you know, brain racking because the game already required so much thinking before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go ahead and take us through your day one. Um, did your list change at all between day one and two? Uh, no, it didn't. Um, but before okay, I so get yeah, into my list, wanna... go ahead. Uh, b- before I w- get into my list, I want to say that there were a couple of guys here who went above and beyond to um, help me get the practice games I needed, and to settle on a list, and to um, make sure that I could get that list painted in time and everything. Uh, Ryan Mulkey and Jake Greenwalt went out of their way, and I really appreciate them for that. Uh, but to the list. So it was Drogo and Flaidman, Naked Screamers. Um, by naked, I mean no attachments. Uh, no attachments <laughs> and Outriders. <laughs> Another unit of no attachment Outriders. A unit of Hakars, if I'm saying that correctly. And Ilario. And sell me as my two NCUs, and I believe that's the controversial part is the two NCUs. I, I've been getting a lot of questions since then. Well, how does two NCUs work? Why didn't you run three? Did you struggle against three? And my answer has been to all of them that in this particular list with this particular faction, I feel like three NCUs is a point drain. Um, So I have five combat units on the table. They're all incredibly fast. They all have decent damage output, some higher, some lower, but very good damage output across the board. They all have incredibly high morale to deal with Night's Watch. But they have the same armor as paper. I mean, it's useless. If they get hit, they're taking wounds. So if you only have four units that if they get hit, they're taking wounds, you're in trouble. In addition to that, my tactics deck does not require me to hold any particular zone. Um, you can make the argument that there are two cards that require the horse. However, with the way my list is built, I never really needed that secondary effect. Um, a two-inch shift for me with my speed uh, is just as good as a three-inch free maneuver because I have a free maneuver anyway. And I usually didn't need that third inch. Um, So I wasn't beholden to any zones on the tactics board, with the exception of outflank. Um, So because of that, I could use my NCUs more defensively, so I could take the zones that you needed. And to me, a third one just would have been a waste. 
um, when I was playing people with three NCUs, I would get a little bit excited in that they're all good NCUs. They're all good opponents. They're all good lists. But the way I play the game with that list, that meant there were four or five less points on the table to counter me. And the way I play the list is I shoot off to both table edges. I try to get to my opponent's table edge. I essentially try to attack from all four sides. Um, I keep moving. I get the enemy to pivot into awkward positions, and then I hit flanks. And I'll try to hit with two units or, or whatever. But if they're missing those four or five points on the table, and they're already significantly slower than me, for example, if they're running an infantry army, then they're really going to struggle to be able to counter what I'm doing on the table. So that's why I went to NCUs and why I prefer to NCUs in this version. Uh, Rackard, yeah. I think... Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I definitely agree. Certain lists uh, and certain factions, can you, I mean, it's hard to completely blanket a whole faction, but I would say, you know, let's just say the rule and not, like, the exceptions. But I, th I think certain lists just benefit, or even certain factor, factions just benefit from one or the other. For example, I think I've mentioned it once before, for me personally, I feel like free folk want two NCUs. Uh, they just benefit way more for having the extra points on the field. But I would say Greyjoys, who are very similar in the sense that they're kind of horde-like, uh, in the countless games I've played at this point, with them being my favorite faction, uh, I would say I always easily do the best when they have three NCUs. They just benefit way more from the tactics board. So... And it also comes down to play style, and individual lists can change that that uh, that rule. But yeah, I think you make great points with your list of why two NCUs just make sense. But go ahead. Yeah. So something else I got questioned about uh, going into the tournament when I was talking to people about lists was was Harakars. and you see a lot of people saying, and and they're not incorrect. They're actually right about this. Outflank is a trap. If you outflank your own unit, you're playing five points down. And if they can block you from getting the horse, then you're you're really screwed. However, I'm not too smart, and I did it anyway quite often. And what would happen was I'd make sure that I was going to be going second uh, when, when that happened. And I would drop them in as close behind their commander or whatever threat they had as possible. And I would use them like a missile. I would just go in and try to either tie up that massive threat or try to alpha strike something with them. And it became so critical to, to the way my games went that I think without that outflank and without the Harakars, I may have been uh, 500 on the weekend as opposed to 7-1. and one. Um, And then I used Screamers in a way... So every almost every list I saw had Flademen or some other form of heavy cavalry. But with the exception of two lists, two opponents, they only had one. So what I would do is hunt them with Screamers. So I would just charge them with Screamers. And with the high morale of the Screamers, it's going to take a few turns to cut through them. By the time that happens, I'm hoping that I have already done enough damage across the rest of the table that the game's already over. 
so I would use the screamers to suicide charge into their heavy cavalry to tie them up to allow me the freedom to do essentially whatever I wanted. That's pretty much how I ran the list, and I'd try to alpha strike with Drogo and Vlademan. But that one's kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, who would ever do that combo? That one, that one's just <laughs> horrible. <laughs> so I almost didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I have plenty of lists where he's just in screamers just because save the points, and he's still super, you know, scary even in screamers. So, um, yeah. So go ahead and take us through. Uh, I guess day one, um, where you, I believe, you took first, right? Four and zero. Yes. Yep, 4-0. Um, I started out against a high sparrow list, and it was Feast for Crows. And he had his, during deployment, he put his blade men, which was his only cavalry unit and really the only threat to catch me, behind his army in fear of my outflank Harakars, which was the whole point of using them. So now the only unit that can catch me is essentially out of fight, and I haven't even started the game yet. So I put the Harakars in outflank, and I advanced up the table. Um, Drogo was lined up head up on his commander, and they were both marching towards one of the objectives. He thought he decided with his warrior sons and commander to alpha strike me, alpha strike Drogo. He needed a two up on his charge. He rolled a poor guy rolled a one, so he stopped an inch in front of Drogo, and landed on the token on top of the corpse pile. So I I felt a little bad about that one. And then I dropped in Harakars behind him, which he had deployed the flayed men in such a way that he should have been able to counter them. But at that point in the game where his units were sitting, he couldn't fit his flayed men in there to counter them, to charge me. So his whole army kind of got messed up. He had to turn units to try to face me and... And at that point, that's that's pretty much how that game went. Um, I believe it was a crushing. I don't remember the score because there were a lot of games and they all kind of blended together. Game two, I played a Baratheon player. I believe the same one Cyrus mentioned, the, the really cool guy that won player's choice. And uh, it was a bit of a grind. I was sitting right next to Cyrus and Chris Tran while they were playing their game, and I was very actively rooting and loudly rooting for uh, – Cyrus to beat Chris because I didn't want anything to do with Chris, I'll be honest. I've gotten lucky against him before and wasn't sure I'd be able to do it again. So, so I was you mean watching as far as playing him in the next round? Yep, yeah. Yeah, I okay. didn't want to play him the next round. <laughs> so uh, Those dirty Sunday slaughter guys. <laughs> we love you guys. But, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we do. Go ahead. The the Baratheon game was, was really a – he bogged me down, which is what Baratheons do, and it's the one thing that I don't ever want to happen to me. But the dice went my way, and he went from having me locked up and a tie game to four activations later he was missing three units. And it wasn't entirely no, – I'm, I'm not going to say it was superior <laughs> play on my part. It's just, just the way it went, you know, the dice and overrun and everything else. So I would like Sheer to point out that he charged, he charged a Dragonstone Noble over stakes to come kill me. And I was shocked. 
thing was he the way his other tray was sitting, he couldn't see the stakes. He forgot they were there. And I picked up the D3 to roll, and I was like, before I do this, are you sure? Are you sure you really want to charge over the stakes? And he thought about it for a second. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. And then I rolled a one. <laughs> and that attack hurt. Like, so props to him for having the guts to do that, because I wouldn't have had the guts to do that. But that game ended, and... uh I very unfortunately drew Chris Tran for the next game. And that was Dark Wings, Dark Words, which I think is why the game went the way it did. So all of the objective cards we were pulling were all beneficial to me because um, he had three NCUs. He was running Lannisters. I had two. And they all had to do with taking certain zones on the board or getting to certain places on the table, like getting to the center objective and holding it or, you know, whatever. So he, and rightfully so, decided that he needed to cycle those cards out. But what happened when he cycled those cards out is he would replace them with worse cards, like score two points for being in your enemy's deployment zone, which is where I play anyway. So so he just got Man. really unlucky on the card draw. And he charged, he, he hid, Highwind was his commander, and he hid him from Drogo. You know, he out-activated me, so he was able to deploy him opposite corner, and then he put a unit in front of him. He was not letting me get to Tywin. So he charged my outriders past the token on that side of the field, and his intent was to march up, and since my outriders could no longer get to him, hold that token and score a bunch of points. But I had ride-by attack, so when he did that, I just rode through his unit that charged me and sat myself down on his token anyway and prevented prevented him from getting it for a couple of rounds, which ended up being the difference. Um, as far as it, the game was a lot closer than, than what the score would suggest, it ended up being a crushing by, like, one point. I think it was 12-7. And, uh, but it was a lot closer than that. He just had some bad luck on the objective cards, and that's just the way it goes, I guess. So but that, was a, that was a heck of a good game. Then I had to play John Hurley which, you know, as, as has already been talked about, is a Stark player and a very, very good one. And his list gave me fits because he had two flayed men, a wolf, or no, I'm sorry, one flayed man, a wolf, and cavaliers, and then uh, Tully and uh, shields. It was Clash of Kings, I believe. Yeah, Clash of Kings, and I was able to snipe with Drogo, uh, his commander, which was huge. I did it on, like, turn two. But... The way my list works, a good parameter for me for success is since I want to get my opponent off objectives, I want to get them spinning, trying to chase me, you know, whatever. A good parameter of success is I'm playing the majority of the game on my opponent's half of the table because that tells me I'm behind them, I'm in their flank. They're doing what I want them to do now and just trying to survive instead of trying to score. So that, that's how I judge how well my game's going. Well, against all his cavalry... The entire game was happening on my side of the table, and I ran out of room to flee quickly. So it was a bit of a problem. That game actually ended up being really close. I pulled it out in the end just by tying up his cavalry and trying to prevent them from wiping me off the table. And I think the final score there was 10-7, but it was a good game and well played on his part. And that got me my fourth win to 4-0. 
That was nice. day one. Yeah, it's definitely a, a hard uh, group of players, you know, to get through. Um, you know, I've played, I want to say I've played uh, John Hurley at pretty much every time I go to family time games other than maybe one of them. Uh, and it's always, you know, a back and forth. Uh, so, so you took first. Uh, what was surprising like for day one? Uh, it was significant. I think day one I ended up with a hand of the king, a Greyjoy starter, like six unit boxes and long claws with a plaque that nice. said champion of that tournament. So I mean, I did not leave empty-handed. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it at that. well. You know, if you had a, a, a sheath, you could, you know, could have left empty-handed. <laughs> so, uh, how was uh, how was your uh, second day then? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I'm still bitter. <laughs> no, it was it was it was actually rough. Um, so my first match was Chris Bloom, who's a fantastic player in his own right, and he had Mother of Dragons. And it was Game of Thrones scenario, which Mother of Dragons is a fantastic counter to my list. A Game of Thrones scenario is the absolute worst scenario for my list. And top it all off, is being ran by a great player. So I was a little nervous going into it, but it's like, it's all right. I came up with a plan. It's going to work. And it did, actually, believe it or not. I had all three of his dragons um, charge me but they had to do it in such a way that they're all spread out from each other, so they could not support each other. And then I had two of them uh, deathly wounded. I had one with, I had put five wounds on it. The other one I had six wounds on it. I'm like, all right, let's go. Now I'm going to win this game. So I run the Harakars up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to charge you in the flank with the Harakars, and I'm going to put Sundering on them. So I'm going to have six dice with Vicious. You've got two wounds left. You're saving on sixes. You're going to die. Then I'm going to have my screamers turn around and kill your other dragon from the rear. And then I'm going to wipe you off the table. Instead, I successfully charged. With those six dice, with re-rolls, I had a total of three hits. And Chris decides that it's in his best interest to roll two sixes, only taking one wound, and then passing his panic test. Oof. And then, yeah, and then he killed my Harakars. <laughs> so, and then it was all downhill from there, and I could, I never recovered from that. So hats off to him. I mean, he he didn't let me recover from that. So it, it was a good game, but it hurt my heart. <laughs> it ended up being it was it was my first crushing loss in in probably a couple of years, ten to three, and it I'm still not over it. But uh, from there, you know, I'm thinking, well. I won yesterday, so I need to have a good showing today just to substantiate what I did yesterday. And I got a, came out and got crushed. So I need to win. But if I want to place high, I can't just win. I have to crush people. So now, instead of just trying to win, which is hard enough in this game against these types of players, I'm trying to blow them off the table. But I got really lucky with scenarios. So the next scenario is here we stand – Cyrus mentioned not being a fan of that one. Personally, it's my favorite one as a Dothraki player because all I have to do is move. I can go to any zone on the table I want with any unit I want at any time that I want and outscore you that way. 
So that's what I did and uh, ended up getting a crushing victory there. And the next game was against Greyjoys. And I think that was Sean. And I got lucky again. Things did not go his way. So away I play my tactics deck. I've got Adravad in the deck, and I have um, Lead by Example. Um, they're both decent cards. They're both good cards. But the second effect on the card is start of a friendly turn, discard this card, draw another card. And that's what I used it for. So I was constantly cycling and tutoring my deck, so I constantly had a handful of cards I liked. Well, in this game against Sean, I drew two of them. And, uh, ah, Blood of the Dragon. Yeah, Blood of the Dragon, that's the one. So I play Blood of the Dragon on Drogo. Then I play those other two, two cards to get two more cards. I had also taken the Envelope, which drew me another Blood of the Dragon and another Adravat, so I cycled again. So basically, at this point, I've already played five cards, and I have three in my hand, and we're only halfway through round one. Two of the three in my hand were... Uh, Overrun, and uh, uh, the free attack card. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now for whatever reason. But the uh, free charge card from Drogo, which is Assault Orders. Assault Orders is the name of the card. I don't know why I drew a blank on that. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay. And it was Fire and Blood scenario, so it was all about killing. And like, well... I'll activate Drogo. If I connect on the charge here, it's on a six. You know, great. If I connect, great. I shouldn't connect, but if I do, great. If I don't, then I'll just play Assault Orders and keep on moving. <laughs> I rolled a six, charged his Reavers, blew them up, which I think was a one-shot. No, I blew them up. They had two, like two wounds left, something like that. I then played Assault Orders, attacked again, killed the unit, played Overrun, and then one-shot his Greyjoy Archers. So at the end of round one, he was already down two units, and I was halfway through my tactics deck. So it didn't... You know, and he played well. He actually recovered from it and made it a close game for a while. So hats off to him for being a good player for that, but it was just bad luck for him to start the game. And I'm looking at the score like, well, I have to get a crushing here, otherwise I lose the tiebreakers. Like you said, you lose a game, you drop several places. So I actually delayed my last attack by around so I could put an extra attack or an extra VP on his unit to get to get that crushing. So I did that, won that game, and the next game was once again final game of the day, John Hurley. And. I don't know how many times i got to play this guy. Great player, but, man. And once again, he took it down to the wire. It was another two or three victory point game. Um, I don't even remember what the scenario was. Oh, Winds of Winter. And we both drew, drew the same uh, objective cards that we were using. We actually played them simultaneously throughout most of the game. So that was a good back-and-forth game. He had units in my deployment. I had units in his deployment. Neither one of us had more than two units left at the end of the game. So it was it was a tight one. I ended up winning that one 10-7, to 10-8, something like that. So 
so that was that was a good game too. And I think I ended up finishing in third on day two. Nice. Yeah, and you know, it's like I think you mentioned uh in a post, you know, going seven and one over two days is a big deal, you know. Um I know this was forever ago and I mentioned it once in a blue moon, but you know, uh I can't wait for Adepticon to come back uh and you know, do what I did in twenty nineteen, you know, in four four days straight of four tournaments, you know, because for me like a gauntlet like that, I mean it is, you know, it's it's crazy enough just doing one day of four or five games and then especially a a second day of four games, you know, it the more you play, I mean the more, you know, it just hurts your brain. Um, you know, especially now as we mentioned just before you you started that uh you know, this game is there's a lot more to it now in 2021. It's a lot more de- decision-making. So, um, I still have not recovered, you know, for the record. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, for Adepticon, I was so itching to play as much as I could back then because, you know, I hadn't played in a, a big event. I hadn't played in anything bigger than think six people before 2019 Adepticon so I was like you know what I signed up for the beginner tournament because you know uh, people have different opinions on what beginner tournament is that could be uh, you know you've never played before beginner or that can mean you've never played in a major event or it can mean it's your first major event I mean, there's a lot of different opinions on that. So I, I signed up because I had never done anything past six people. Uh, then I signed up for the two qualifiers on thir- uh, on so that one was on Thursday, and the two qualifiers on Friday, Saturday, and then um, the, the finals, which I qualified for twice uh, on both days. You know, so seven and one is a big deal. Uh, you know, it's it's not easy when you play a game, there's so many different types of games out there, and it's always hard to, you know, plan for everything and make lists that can cover everything and, you know, take all the curveballs that can be thrown at you. Um, so, you know, like I said, 7-1 is awesome, especially, you know, anytime you go to multiple events in a row and you can say you went, you took, like, third place or higher in all of them, or in this case, both of them. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. It was it was a lot of fun and very taxing. So before we jump, and uh, because um, I know you got to get going, uh, and before we jump over to Brett, who's been patiently waiting in the in the corner where we left him, uh, what would you say um, is your MVP for your list and your uh, honorable mention MVP? Uh, my MVP has to be the Hurricars. Uh They died every game, but they died for the cause. Um, they usually blew something up or stalled the game enough that gave me the edge I needed. Um, and then secondly would be Drogo and Flavemen because he, he did all the heavy lifting as far as go kill this, go kill that. You know, So I I don't win without either of those pieces. Now, did you have a, a single game where Drogo and the Flayed Men actually died? Because I, I, I don't remember you had mentioned that or not. 
Yes, I had one single game where they died, and you can probably guess which one it is. Okay, <laughs> it yeah. It was the, <laughs> the only loss. Dragon game that I lost. Yes. So, so we'll but put it that way. If games, Drogo they... and Flaidman die, it's not looking good. <laughs> right. All right, most and then uh, very last. Oh, yeah? Man. Yeah. Um, so with that said, uh, very last thing I wanted to ask. So what was, like, the highlight of the whole weekend for you? Just, like, any one particular thing that happened? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Honestly, it was – I'd say the highlight would be just uh, meeting, just hanging out with people, you know, in between games, before the games. A lot of joking around with Brett and Chris and stuff like that. Just enjoying the community that this game has. Yeah, I can definitely see that. You know, anyone listening that is anywhere near uh, Family Time Games, whenever they do a major event, I know sometimes it can be a little on the lower side. You know, like this one was 16. Sometimes it could be upwards of, you know, like 30. Uh, you know, but if you're thinking about taking a little bit of a drive, this is definitely one of the locations to do it at. Um, I mean, me and Justin drive out from uh, just west of Chicago, Uh Craig from a little a little further than that west, uh, and then you have Cyrus driving. You got the people from Ohio driving. I mean, the place is great, uh, and it's always an amazing time. So definitely, if you've ever been kind of on the fence about it, try it at least once. It's definitely worth the trip. Uh, and they have lots of great food and lots of great places to uh, get a hotel at or whatnot and uh, definitely make it within the affordable limits. Um, but I know you got to get going, Craig. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing uh, you know, your experience. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. All right, Brett, come on. Get over here. Oh, you don't feel like talking? I'm here. I'm sorry. I accidentally made a phone call. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, Brett took first again. He went 4-0 on, on Sunday. I, I know you had some uh, personal stuff that you had on Saturday, which is why you were unfortunately unable to attend that day. Uh, so, um, kind of same like I asked uh, Cyrus and Craig, um, what What's your opinion on 2021 versus 1.6 as far as, like, the environment of the tournaments and just whether it be the people or just the game the game experience itself? Um, so you asked, like, like, the general atmosphere? Yeah, like, is it more uh, – is it a lot more uh, fun – frustrating because I know there's been a lot of controversy around things being way too powerful and we're talking about a you know in what in this time you know time of year with everything going on a major event uh, even regardless the attendance with no restrictions you know so you had the full brunt of anything anyone could bring um, so what was your kind of experience with you know 2021 and just whether it was fun or frustrating, or just more tactical, just anything that you kind of felt uh, compared to 1.6? No, I think I think 2021 is 
you can you can point fingers and you can say like, hey, this is really powerful. This is really powerful. Yada yada yada. Um, I think we've had some conversations on small council, and I've had this conversation on other podcasts as well. But uh, another issue is that the GF meta is still very young, so. Some of the things that were initially, you know, interpreted as, hey, this is way too powerful, i.e. Lannister supremacy, never really found its footing. And it's, I mean, Cyrus ran it, and, I mean, he busted my butt with it. But um, it's just not <laughs> like this super meta-y kind of build. And, um, you know, of course there's things that are really strong. But if, you, if you're comparing it to 1.6, I think the developers and the game in general have taken – not just a step, but like a massive stride in the right direction. I think the game is in actually a pretty good place. There are very few exceptions. This is good because I think that overall it's way more balanced, way more fun, and the games are way closer than even what they were in 1.6. And I thought 1.6 was pretty good and just had a couple of outliers. But I think just in general the, the idea is they're, they're moving very quickly in the right direction and we're so close to having, like, an actual perfect game. But another part of that is perception, you know. No matter who, no matter how balanced they ever make the game, you know, somebody's going to say, well, this is turbo broken, and, like, people aren't going to agree with them. Um, and so a lot of that is player perception as to what they view as overpowered. That's, um, that's more like your local meta or the you know the meta that you're playing with on time whether at the time whether that's online or your local people you know in in a meta where you know maybe people aren't taking night's watch they might think that that free folk are just ridiculously overpowered or in another meta where people play free folk and Greyjoys, you know kind of low morale armies they might think lannisters and melisandre are just ridiculously overpowered so it's a really tough question to answer when you ask like well what's what's broken because it's it really is about interpretation and and everything has some counter somewhere. So if you're playing with and against those counters, then the stuff that's perceived as broken everywhere else might not be so bad. So so I guess that's a long way of answering the question. I think everybody had a really good time. I don't think people, even the guys that that took like a crushing, I don't think they felt helpless. I think that's just the nature of kind of 2021 games where things can just kind of steamroll. But a lot of that comes back to list balance and list design. You know, if you've, if you've built your list to, to feather out activations, say, three poor fellows for Lannister, you've got one unit of warrior sons with your commander and you've got a unit of flayed men. I mean, obviously you're banking on using those activations to get the leverage and get your flaidmen in position. Well, if your flaidmen happen to get blown up by something, it's probably a downhill game after that. But that doesn't mean that what you played was horribly unbalanced. It just means that your list was kind of designed around that tempo, and maybe it just didn't work out for you. Maybe you got log jammed into a combat that you thought you were going to win, and it didn't work out, and then as a result you were stuck. These things can just happen anyway. So I think the game's in a good place. I think it's really fair. I think everybody who was there had a really good time. The spirit was really, really high. Um, Robert Fulkerson and Adam Lavelle were there, and they were having a super good time. We were, everybody was joking around. Uh, you know, there was the occasional shouting and yelling, but not like a bad shout or a yell, like, oh, boom, kind of shout and yell. It was, it was a <laughs> really, really positive environment. It's, and it's my first in-person event since, Hmm. Think since our think last one point six. 
Yeah, since ours. Yep. So when was that? That was the. That was it. Was that Gen Con replacement for last year? When was? Uh, maybe maybe Adepticon early this year. Oh duh. Yeah, I'm silly. Yeah, so it's been like five months then, four or five months. So it was it was yeah. really nice for me to get. Yeah, I think it's probably five or six months really, but it's been really nice to to get back into playing in person. I'm rallying the local guys. We're doing a league. We got Gary playing again. We've got uh, Sean playing. We've got John Cash uh, getting ready to get back in as soon as the card packs come out. And so it's looking pretty good in Indy for in-person play. So hopefully the next event, there's, you know, 10 or 11 guys just from Indy, and that'll really help to bolster the numbers of those tournaments. Well, uh, I definitely will be there, um, especially after – I feel so disappointed because I had, like, four major events in person that I was supposed to attend and I've because uh, I'm going to be here through the month I'm, uh, I missed the Ohio one I missed the Nationals I'm going to miss Gen Con I do have one in October that there's almost should be no reason why I should miss that one so I'm super excited for that one but if you guys uh, hold another one uh, you know you know late next month or early like November or something I'll definitely be there uh, and I'll try to get uh, a bunch of the, the Illinois guys to come with. But from what you said, well, I definitely uh, Ro- have... Robert. Go ahead. Robert said, Robert said Acon 2022 is a thing. He said, like, I mean, he stomped his foot down and said it's happening. And I know Marty was planning some primers for that. So those will be some really cool events to get out to, and hopefully I'll uh, run into you there. I haven't even kind of decided what I would run for Adepticon, so... I mean, you never know. They might drop a new faction on us before then. Yeah, it might be an uphill battle, but my my paint job is turning out like I'm in love with my paint job for my Greyjoys. So it might be an uphill battle, but I think I'm just going to start sticking with Greyjoys at a bunch of events and see uh, challenge myself and see how well I can do. Not not because <sighs> Greyjoys are weak, but you know they're they're definitely not like top tier if that makes any sense. They're like B plus, A minus. Greyjoys definitely have the tools to beat the two top dogs right now, which is really interesting because they can struggle a little bit against some of the others. Like Greyjoys are in the middle of the pack there with Lannisters and Free Folk and Baratheons. They're kind of all in and around the same place. And then you've got the debate about Night's Watch or Targaryens at the top. But, um, Honestly, Greyjoys have good play into Targaryens and into Night's Watch, um, particularly dragons. with dragons. If you, yeah. yeah, if you manage to get, yeah, if you manage to get, um, what is dead may never die, and a dragon ends up getting stuck in combat with something that it doesn't really want to be stuck in, or it exposes its rear or its flank to something else, the Greyjoys definitely have ways of wiping those out. I mean, even archers in the rear is probably putting four or five wounds on a dragon, six if the dragon's unfortunate. So there's definitely some play there against those top dogs for sure. Yeah, and uh, to kind of, you know, mention uh, or to go off of what you were mentioning about, you know, the play experience, you know, I, you know, just, I was there, but just from what I, I haven't seen a single bad thing said about the U.S. national. So, and, uh, you know, it seems like everyone had an amazing time uh, and not a single complaint of the meta 
uh, or you know what was seen there, and we saw a little bit of everything. Uh, we saw between both days, you know, we saw the Targaryens, you know, doing their dragon stuff, their Dothraki stuff. We saw the Night's Watch doing their stuff, and uh, Lannisters doing their stuff. You know, and those were considered to be like the three top dogs uh, of you know 2021 for what little time we've had uh, with it so far. So. And I haven't seen any, like, major complaints. Now, like you said, we'll see how the meta develops once we can get more uh, tournaments in, uh, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, but, uh, you know, with that said, uh, tell us kind of about how your, your day went on uh, Sunday. Sure. Um, so I, um, I obviously, I, I chose to go in with Nightwatch. Um this was a decision, I think some people might remember that I cleared out almost all of my A Song of Ice and Fire armies, and I think that some people were speculating that maybe I was getting out of the game, which obviously was not the case. Uh, this is a case of happy wife, happy life kind of thing, and we just moved, <laughs> and she, she hadn't been in the attic at our house for a long time, and so we were moving, and she went up there to get some of her stuff, and she went into the attic, and I mean, I'm not... I'm not even exaggerating. I'll bet I had eight to $10,000 worth of miniatures up there between Warhammer and A Song of Ice and Fire. I literally had um, Song of Ice and Fire starter boxes that hadn't been opened. I had unit boxes <laughs> to accompany those that hadn't been opened. Um, and most of this was not prize support because, as you know from playing with me, generally the prize support, if it's like unit boxes or starter boxes, I just give it away. Um, you know, I play to have fun and I play to build the community, not to get prizes. So this is all stuff I'd purchased or traded for or acquired. But and then I had a bunch of like really rare Warhammer stuff that like is out of print, like a whole bunch of Forge World models, like the Forge World Chaos Dragon. And I had all of this stuff like in boxes, they're unopened, unassembled. And she just went up there and she was like, no, we're not doing this. She's like, you paint so slow, you're never going to paint all of this. Why do you have all of this? She was like, just cut it down to one Warhammer army, two A Song of Ice and Fire armies. So I chose to keep the Lannisters, I kept the Night's Watch, and then I sold all of the Warhammer but my Lizardmen. And then in the process of doing that, I really, really, really wanted to repaint my Lannisters, and I didn't want to repaint the ones I already painted, so I shipped those off to Kevin McReynolds, who's a supporter of the show. And... Um, so I didn't have any painted uh, Lannisters, and I definitely – I didn't even have a full Lannister army. So the only thing I had really to play with was Night's Watch, and I wanted to do something different with them. I've had those Flayed Men painted and converted. I played them a lot in 1.6 before the last Flayed Men patch, and I was like, man, I really want to bring the Flayed Men out. So I went ahead and went with Night's Watch. I didn't do Double Watch Captain in either list. Um, no double crossbows or anything like that, but I, I did play some, some kind of techie Night's Watch, and I guess in the end it paid off. So the first list, uh, we'll go with the Jon Snow list because I ran it three quarters of the time. Um, this was literally like an experimental list. I had zero practice games with it. I just kind of theory-crafted theory crafted with it, and it was like it seems to introduce some counters to, like, Warrior Sons, with Champion of the Faith, which is a really, really, really tough unit because of their pseudo-hardened. And so the Jon Snow list is Jon Snow and a unit of Ranger Hunters, 
this is kind of like, I don't want to say it's a no-brainer, but it, it just synergizes so well with John's free charge card and them having uh, swift strikes so they can always retreat after they attack. So you've got the potential to charge twice in a round because of for the watch. Uh, that's backed up by a unit of Sworn Brothers with Dario Naharis. Now, there's a couple of reasons I made that pick. I do have a second unit of Rangers, so I could have easily ran double Ranger Hunters. But my Sworn Brothers are painted. They're converted. I really like the work that I did with them, so I wanted to play them. And then I also think they're kind of underused in the meta right now. I think everybody's favoring the Ranger Hunters and the Crossbows at that seven-point spot. I'm just not seeing a lot of Sworn Brothers, and I think they're phenomenal. So it also has really strong synergy with Dario Naharis because his downside is if you roll ones for attack dice, you take wounds but it's got substantial upside by bringing critical blows and precision to those Sworn Brothers. It kind of turns them back into their 1.6 Sworn Brothers, which I absolutely loved that unit, even when they went to seven points and people thought they were unplayable. I loved 1.6 Sworn Brothers. Um, so Dario, in a John list, seems like if you can get some play with For the Watch, uh, you can charge, get the rerolls from Dario, and then you can pop the Sworn Brothers order later if you're still engaged and you'll get those rerolls back so you're really mitigating your chances of rolling ones there so seemed like a really strong synergy so i wanted to try it then there were conscripts with a watch recruiter i initially had corin in the list which didn't make room for the watch recruiter um, and then there's a unit of conscripts without a watch recruiter and then on the ncu side i did go three ncu which i don't think Nightwatch has to do but i kind of teched with the ncus I brought Jor to make sure I could get for the watch when I wanted it. I brought Tycho because particularly with Dario, you know, I'm putting a lot of, um, I mean, it's really my, my hero unit, you know. John's got a mind objective. John's really glass cannony. Dario, I'm depending on him staying alive. So Tycho is a really nice safety valve for that unit. So I've got Tycho in there for that reason. And then I brought Othel's NCU. Um, Othel is really, really, really good. Um, he, I teched this with the potential to play the mirror match in mind because I think awful NCU constantly attacking the conscripts that are on the back line, particularly if you're going on the crown and adding Vicious to his ranged attack. I just know from playing as Night's Watch and playing against Night's Watch this version, like the easiest way to beat Night's Watch is to kill the conscript. It's not super easy to get to them all the time if you're not really, really mobile. But if you can kill them with the tactics board, like with an awful attack or with, uh, you know, Melisandre or even Thirsty on the Crown with Hear Me Roar, you can really start to put a dent in their, their life supply. And then after that, killing the, killing the Night's Watch units isn't hard. It's destroying them, if that makes sense. You can kill them easily. It's destroying them that's a problem, right? So I brought Othel to tech for other Night's Watch and also to tech for, like, poor fellows and stuff like that so that I can soften them up with an Othel attack and then charge in with something and hopefully finish them off. Uh, that list is supported by an Othel list. It's got Othel and Conscripts, of course. That's the thing, you know. Uh, another unit of Conscripts, and then it's got one unit of Crossbowmen with the Watch Captain, a unit of Flaidmen, which is a tech piece. We'll get into that a little bit when I explain my match with Cyrus. And then Corrin Halfhand, who is also a tech piece. And then I've got Jor again, 
you know, to go fish for Opal's cards, fish for Watches Ended, whatever card I'm needing. And then I've got Peter Baelish because he's got really strong synergy with those crossbowmen, grabbing the money bags, making a free attack, and forcing your opponent to have to take the swords or get popped with another free attack. So just kind of, I mean, that's, people have seen that. That's not an uncommon build, Peter Baelish working with the, the Opal list. So, um that list felt kind of weird because there's really no healing whatsoever, no Amon, no Tycho. And as I mentioned, generally the play is Peter Baelish onto the bags to use the sword. So you're kind of relying on just those conscripts to heal you up. So normally I like to have three conscripts in a list like that, but I went with um, Corn Halfhand instead. But round one, I drew uh, Chad, actually, Chad's Targaryens. Um, it was a list he had been talking to me for a couple of weeks to, you know, kind of build some cool synergies with Targaryens. I gave him a couple of cool ideas. Uh, I told him I really like Grey Worm for issue commands, uh, especially if you're running a dragon. You can potentially get a, a real easy double tap with that dragon. Uh, bringing Daenerys the Unburnt, you can triple tap. So he went ahead and went with um, Grey Worm and Unsullied Pikemen, a unit of Unsullied Swordmasters, which it was definitely different to see them on the table in this type of list. He ran um, Rhaegal, and then he ran a unit of Stormcrow Archers, Solo Jorah, Illyrio Mapatis, and Daenerys the Unburnt. So the game started off. We pulled Game of Thrones. He parked Grey Worm right on the objective straight away. Um, I took Offal, tried to take a shot at Jorah, didn't kill him. Um, I waited until he activated Illyrio, of course, to take a shot with Opal. Um, he brought the dragon up the flank, and then he sent the Swordmasters and the Stormcrow Archers up to contest uh, Dario and John and force me to kind of either ignore those guys or ignore the dragon. So um, pretty decent positioning for him in round one. Uh, he took the cons away from just sitting on an objective because the dragon came over there. So... Um, basically, I won't, I won't go through everything that happened, but essentially, uh, Dario just popped off. He charged into the Unsullied Swordmasters at the end of the round, used his order to make them vulnerable. I scored 11 hits, uh, so it was three wounds from precision and then eight regular hits. Um, and that, I ended up doing 11 wounds to the Swordmasters because they were vulnerable, put him in a pretty tough spot. From there, he went ahead and abandoned the Swordmasters, took the dragon into the conscripts, double-tapped the conscripts, blew the conscripts up. The only mistake Chad made is I think he sent the dragon into Dario a little bit too early. Um, he didn't take advantage of some of the tempo that he had won and put me in a spot with Dario. He went kind of right into Dario. He rolled a 1 for his D3. Didn't do enough damage to Dario. I passed the panic test because of fire that burns against the cold. So Dario only took four wounds, which was obviously very, very easy to heal back up. But I had um, Take the Black in my hand, so I just stabbed that last Swordmaster, healed back to full with Take the Black, and then everything else that he did with the dragon kind of didn't matter uh, because I had the conscripts to heal Dario back. So in that match, I think if he had just killed the second unit of conscripts, and forced me to turn Dario around. It could have been a different game. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, it was still a pretty close game. It was 13-7 to 7 by the end of it. Uh, Grey Worm kind of just sat on the objective, and I didn't, didn't even want to challenge him. So um, 
Next round, I actually pulled Chris Bloom, who managed to knock Craig off. Uh, real quick, you can still hear me, right, Dave? Yep, can still hear you. I was just uh, okay, having I'm myself just muted. Making I'm just making sure I'm not talking to myself. Okay. <laughs> so I drew Chris Bloom. The scenario was here we stand. He played Mother of Dragons. I did not think I had one single chance to win this match. Um, dragons in Here We Stand uh, present a couple of problems. They respawn if you kill them. They respawn on any flank edge. Um, additionally, if he chooses to just play Keep Away and start playing the mission, he doesn't even really have to attack because the dragons can essentially be wherever they want to be. Daenerys is in Pike, so she's worth 10 points. He can really give me some issues with that board contesting, and there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Um, fortunately for me, unfortunately for him, in round one, I activated Tycho, I believe, and, and took the House of Undying just to make him discard a card. And then after that, he took the letters initially, so it left Crown Bag Sword Horse open for him. And I was kind of trying to bait him into leaving the sword and horse open. So I started activating stuff on the field to see what he was going to do on the board. He ended up taking the horse and the crown, I think. And that left me the money bag. He either took the money bags or the crown. I don't remember. But it ended up, the point being, it ended up leaving me the space to take Jayor, go get for the watch on Dario, and with the swords open, I marched Dario up and took a charge into a dragon. He played Fire Made Flesh, mitigated some of the damage, but I was going first the next round, so it was pretty simple to grab the swords first thing and wipe out the dragon with Dario and give me some tempo that round. Um, next, from there, he went into Jon Snow with the dragon, and, you know, Jon Snow and the, rec and the conscripts did their thing, I was pretty fortunate to pop the dragon with Jon Snow. Eight attacks. I think I played Light That Brings the Dawn to get rerolls. Got all eight hits. I think he made five saves. Five or four, or he may have rolled below average. I don't remember exactly. But then I, I retreated, and I made seven of the eight shots and killed that dragon. So from there, instead of him having the tempo... It really just gave me the tempo because he only was able to respawn one dragon. And then in the next round, I played – I had so much tempo on the um, field that I just moved the conscripts around, did the shuffle, uh, kind of sent Dario wherever I wanted to send Dario. And then um, I was able to drop my NCUs after all of his activations were done. And I just ended up taking all four board quarters that game. Uh, Othel, I believe, took one all by himself because he's five points. Don't remember exactly the details, but I know I scored two from the Dragon, and then I scored four board quarters. The next round, I scored four board quarters, and before he could really bring his Dragons back in, I still had that tempo and activation advantage, so I was able to just simply retreat Dario at the end of the round into the board quarter that he had thought that he won. And I, I added eight points to it with John and an NCU. I think I had 22 in that board quarter to his, like, 17. So I secured those two and, and ended the game right there. I did not want to go another round with full dragons. So that's how that one ended. Next, I drew Dakota. This one was Fire and Blood. 
he was running Joffrey in Kingsguard, Red Cloaks, Flaidman, and two poor fellows. Uh, this one was an interesting one because um, You Will Obey Me on Flaidman is actually super, super, super scary, um, particularly if they have a Hear Me Roar in hand. That can be a one-shot for any unit because the Flaidmen go up to nine dice with Critical Blow and Sundering, plus they're super vicious. Um, I ended up having in my hand, I had um, Shield of the Realms of Men, and I had Fire That Burns Against the Cold. So I kind of gambled. Dakota had three cards in his hand. I was like, there's no way he has You Will Obey Me and both counterplots. Him to get this kill through, I was, you know, I figured I'll play Shield of the Realms of Men. He'll probably counterplot it. Um, you know, he might do nine, ten wounds to me if he has that card. Um, I should be able to fire that burns the panic test and get through this. Um, incidentally, he ended up rolling a one on the charge, which was horrible. I gave him the the ability to charge Dario's flank to bait his flayed men in because they were his heaviest hitter. Um, I figured with those two cards, I would survive the attack. His flayed men would be on an island with the rest of my army. I had Ghost to get into his rear, Dario to use his order and attack back. I figured I could pop them pretty quickly. Um, but as I said, he rolled a one. It was kind of screwed up for him because he didn't get to play You Will Obey Me. And then the real insult to injury with that is he did have both counterplots. So he could have one-shotted Dario. And at that point, I don't think the Jon Snow hunters and two conscripts and ghosts have what it takes to get back into the game against the Kingsguard and the Flaidmen. So it could have put me in a really, really, really bad spot. But he did roll that one. I guess these things can happen. It was really, really, really ill-timed for him. Uh, it's like a 16% chance on any given roll that you'll roll a one. And, again, it happens, but it was probably the worst possible time for him to have a disorderly charge. So I did end up destroying the flayed men, ghost in the rear. I flanked him with conscripts, and then I popped him with Dario. As I recall, I think John ended up even, to, even having to come in, charge the front, and retreat to the flank and shoot them. It took a lot to bring the flayed men down. But after that, it was kind of downhill. For him, he lost his Flaidman and all of his mobility plus the tempo, and it was just pretty rough. After that, I ended up killing Joffrey as well and getting, I think, four points off of him because John was marking him with victory points. So pretty brutal ending for Dakota. And then finally, in the last round, I played Cyrus, and this was in Winds of Winter. Um, this was the first and only game that I deployed the Opalist. Um, the switch to Flaidman ended up actually being pretty huge because he was running his own Flaidman and he was running Knights of Castle Rock backed up by two guardsmen. This was in a roost list with Tywin NCU. So going into the game, I was pretty afraid that he could pop Tywin on the crossbows, shut off ready aim fire, charge me with Knights or Flaidman, take advantage of those tokens, and the four free hits, and then the panic test afterwards, potentially one-shot the crossbows. So I was really, really afraid of that, but luckily I had teched with the Flaidmen, and they did exactly what I wanted them to do uh, with Korn's influence. They were able to move and march directly in front of my crossbow, crossbows, 
um, and block the flayed men out so they were not able to charge me in the front. And then he ended up using Tywin to try to kill Othel. Uh, he played the mission where you get two additional victory points for killing the commander. Um, everything worked for him. Unfortunately, he scored. He got four wounds from Tywin off of his hip, didn't have to spend the vulnerable token. The Knights of Castle Rock came in and did eight wounds, or eight hits. Would have killed me. I made one defensive save on a six, and then he vulnerabled, and it was a six the second time, and then I passed the panic test. So I also survived with just one wound left. I did not have a shield of the realms of men at the time to reroll my defensive dice, so it could have been dead awful, and it might have been a different game. But from there, his knights ended up getting bogged down. I was able to retreat, keep him from pivoting, and then reroute my um, crossbows to shoot the flank of the Knights of Castle Rock. And then after that, I ended up uh, sacrificing Corrin to freeze his Lannister guard. In killing Corrin myself, I triggered Watches Ended, and I was able to turn my crossbows around and make sure they got their full three shots against the Lannister Guardsmen, which was enough to kill them. And then after that, Roos kind of popped off, but it was kind of just a game of survival and hold on for me. I think he essentially ran out of ways to win at that point, and he just settled for the, the six to four instead of getting aggressive and bringing Roos into combat and risking getting tabled. So it ended at 6-4. to four. It was a really tight game. Um, all that Lannister supremacy is really, really scary. Um, but I think overall it's possible that if I had brought double crossbows, which is normally kind of standard, standard way of running Othel, I think he could have beaten me because he had Roos's cards to um, shut off some of those um, some of those effects that I get, and combined with counterplot and some of this other stuff, I think if he was able to one shot one of those crossbowmen and leave me with no mobility and basically cutting my offensive power in half, he definitely could have taken the win. So, yeah, uh, you know his, that game. Uh... I was mentioning to Cyrus when he was uh, talking and um, talking about, you know, how it went down. I was mentioning how our game for the that last tournament, it was almost identical. Uh, me and Cyrus both went 3-0 and to then face you at the last round in a mission where it used secret mission cards. And uh, just to then lose to you and then both lose uh, in tiebreakers and both get placed, even though we went to the top table, both get placed in fourth place uh, and both uh, super close games. I think mine and yours is only a difference of one point and then your guys is only a difference of uh, two points. Yep. Pretty tight. Pretty tight games at the top table. I think um, you know, I think for the most part that's typically how my last games have been <clears throat> in Indy. I know I've fought Hurley at some of the Adepticon primers. I think I fought Hurley on top table at both Adepticon primers. Um, 
I'd have to think uh, back. One of them, I, know... I think you faced Shane. No, I, I faced Shane at Gen Con, and it was second to top. Oh, table. yeah. That was a pretty close game. And then who did I – oh, I played Gruenhagen then as well with Lannisters. Who did I play? Oh, I played Chris Bloom top table because uh, he had Starks. He just edged you out in Dark Wings, Dark Words with his great John yeah. Overlist, and then I played him with Tyrion, top table at that event. I think that was Gen Con. Man, you're going to make me think too hard, and I'm not going to remember. There hasn't <laughs> been, I think for the most part in Indy, that final table where I've you know, played for the event has been pretty tight. Our game was decided by one. My game with Gruenhagen to get to you was also decided by one. Um and I think, see, I played Chad. I don't remember. I don't remember who my second opponent was, but then it was Bruin Hagen. <laughs> so and many you. games. <laughs> oh, it's been so, there's been so many played at indie events. I think, I think 32, and then the four at um, Bob's Game Gen- event. No, Bob's Gamer Haven event. I, I made a trip up there to to his in person last year. Oh, okay. I was anyway. referring to like the actual Gen Con that you went to, like before uh oh, the twenty nineteen Gen, Gen Con. I, I had twenty nineteen I had to cut through four Stark armies in the finals. It was <laughs> Stark Stark, more Stark, Stark, Stark. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, it was an Eddard list when Tywin was the only way to shut off Eddard because Roos couldn't put a panic token on the Honor Guard. Uh, it was an Eddard with a bunch of Berserkers. Then it was Ramsey with Great Axes, which is a, was a pretty nasty combination at that time. Then it was three Dire Wolves. And then it was uh, Stark Double Flademen. Clash of Kings, that was super fun. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so yeah, uh, long story short, there, uh, you know, game is definitely getting way better than it used to be. <laughs> Not that it was some horrible game before, but you know, I, I think it's just it's heading in the right direction. No, I, I think I think the game is phenomenal. And as I mentioned at the start of me rambling for almost an hour here, um, I think the meta is still young. Um, I ended up playing Gary. He wanted to play my Jon Snow list, and I just took Othel out and put Varys in. Um, He was kind of just getting back into the game, so we kind of made it like a demo. But in playing that game, I realized that you know, Varus works really, really well with Night's Watch, too. Like, if in that five-point slot, I know Awful NCU is great, but it was really nice having Varus as well, you know, um, getting two heals when they claim the money bag. Uh, and that even that three-inch shift off of the maneuver zone is really nice. I didn't even use him for the hits, which is how I normally play Varus. It was for the mobility from the horse and the extra healing. I mean, it's just great. Um I don't even think there was any Varus in any list. Maybe not even day one. That's probably the first time 
in Indy that there's been no Varus whatsoever, minus the small patch where Varus went to five points in 1.6. I think we had, like, one Varus. I think Justin ran him. But it was definitely weird. I think Varus is pretty underrated um, in 2021. I think um, I think people have come. They've warmed up to Baelish. They, he's pretty popular. Um, but there's definitely still a lot of stuff that's good that's kind of unexplored, which is, for me, the most exciting thing about the update. That even goes for me as well because I've been playing – I know I took – you know, Night's Watch this event, but most of my online games that I log are with Lannisters, and I don't even think I've scratched the surface of tinkering around with what you can do with Lannisters. I felt like Guard were good and underrated. Cyrus kind of reinforced that idea for me this weekend, so I think there's definitely some some play with, like, a full Lannister supremacy build. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that needs played. We just need more games. We need to try new stuff out and see how that goes. Yep. And, you know, to expand on uh, Varus, Varus is definitely really good. I think where you don't see him as often is really just because uh, you know, he's he's in that five-point range and there's a lot of great five-point NCUs. And it's not that he's necessarily worse than any of the other five pointers. He's just, he has a higher learning curve. You know, he's not as easy to use. Like when, when to trigger those orders uh, to get the effects of what your opponent takes. Not only that, some games, your opponent might not take certain zones either on purpose. If it's on purpose, then that's obviously a strength of Varus. But if it's just incidental that they aren't taking the spots you need to use Varus for, that can be kind of sort of his downside. So I think that that might be in a tournament setting. Uh, he's he's a little more of a... Of a uh, I guess risk. I don't know if risk is the right word, but you know, you, you can't count on him as much as you can some of these other, like in your list, Othel. Othel is a lot more predictable uh, for what and when you need to use him uh, and what your results are going to kind of be. Whereas Varus, arguably, you know, close to as good as Othel, he just has a higher learning curve on when when to when to use those orders. Yeah, I ended up taking Varys to uh, Georgia's Three Sales League Season 2 or Season 3. Don't don't quite remember. Uh, I think it's Season 2, yeah. But I ran Varys in both of my Lannister lists, and I thought he was phenomenal. Um, if you, like you said, if, you, if you're patient and you wait to use those order tokens, you don't get kind of greedy and use them you know, round one, oh, I'm going to take and, and, and get a card from the letter, or like, oh, well, they're taking the crown, I'm going to crown them back kind of situation. Um, if you save them for later in the game, you can put your opponent in a spot as the game has gone on and as the wounds have taken their toll and things like this, they get into a spot where they almost don't even want to take the sword. You know, if you've got, like, even Night's Watch, for example, if they've got a unit of conscripts down to one or two guys because they've been healing the whole game, and you just really need to get rid of them to take a shot at that elite unit, um, they're going to be pretty hesitant to take the swords because they don't want to take three hits 
on the unit of conscripts with two wounds left. Um, same could be said for, you know, Dothraki Screamers or really any unit that's not, you know, three-up defense. They don't want to take those three hits. Um, I ended up playing a Dragonstone Noble that was down to his last wound, and um, the guy I played just would not take the swords. He just didn't want to – he didn't even want to risk the hits. Um, you know, taking three two-up saves, you have, what, like a 33% chance to pull up a one? Something like that. Um, so I think he's good. Uh, more importantly, that shift can end up being huge. There was one game in particular where I needed one more point to close out the game. My poor fellows took a maneuver, and they were, like, two inches away from covering the token. Uh, the maneuver zone was open, and I had a Varus token. And he had no way to engage those poor fellows. And, you know, we both kind of just looked, and we were like, yeah, I, the game's over no matter what I do. Either I claim the maneuver, you shift three inches, you win. I don't claim the maneuver, you take the maneuver, you move, you win. And it was, yeah, that's pretty much what it is, yep. <laughs> and that's, of course, that's a corner case. That's not always going to happen, you know, don't have everybody saying, oh, well, I'm going to run Varus because Brett promised me I'll cover up the token and win. But it's a corner case that can exist, though, you know, and it can be that three-inch shift from Varus is huge. Like in, in a dance with dragons, you know, you can only move two, but with, with Varus you're able to shift three, and that can be a matter of, you know, a two-inch maneuver to get your commander away versus a five-inch, you know, kind of retreat. It's pretty substantial, um, if you're running a ranged unit, that three-inch shift in conjunction with uh, the two-inch shift before they shoot can mean that it's a flank shot. Um, a three-inch shift can get you into line of sight of something that thought it was safe. Uh, sh- shift three inches backwards, now you can see them. There's just a lot that he can do. And I, I know he's five points. I know that five point, you're getting into, like, very elite NCU territory. Um, you're getting into, like, Tyrion with Counterplot on a stick. You're getting into Othel's NCU. You're getting into um, Steyr for Free Folk, you know, adding Sundering to the attack with plus, well, Steyr, of course, Free Folk can't take Varys, but I'm just saying, in general, the five-point NCUs in 2021 are very, very, very impactful. So it can be really tough to justify taking Varus instead of one of those. But I think I think if people give him a try and really see how flexible he is in the game itself, um, I'm a big I'm a big believer that this meta is very much about healing. There's a reason that Tycho is in nearly every single list. Um, it's because healing is so important. And if you save Varus, you know, even if you say you take the bag three turns, they take the bag three turns. You know, that's that's six wounds that Varus could heal you, depending on who went first. Um, could be four, but even even four from Varus is almost what Tycho does. And then you'd have two other order tokens to use for other stuff. I think he's I think he's big. I think people should give him a try. Yeah, and I think uh I think that's what kinda gives Greyjoys kind of that that leg up, you know, as you mentioned about healing, you know, Greyjoys have so much of it that, you know, you know, you, you can take a guy down, you know, a unit down to like 
one, two, three, three models left, you know, okay, awesome. I just basically one shot them and they could pull a John, John Snow and bets on you and just heal the whole thing back to full between, you know, like you said, Tycho is so, so good now. And then Gradris had just have so much healing, but, um, to kind of round off, you know, talking about Varus, and this kind of applies to any, NCU that has a token or once per game effect or just anything that isn't always going to happen all the time and you have limited number of uses, uh, you know, just having that is a mind game to your opponent too. You know, Tywin, not having used Tywin yet, you know, it's always in the back of their mind affecting every decision they make. Every single one, as long as, you know, they're self-aware of everything that is a possibility and that's the same thing with Varus you know using you know using your first second or third token okay whatever it's as soon as you use all of them that your opponent is now it's out of their mind they don't even care anymore so I would say when using Varus always try to maximize every one of them but really try to maximize that last one because as soon as you use it, use that last one and your Varus is out or anyone, as soon as you use that effect, know that that mind game that your your effect is playing on your opponent is always there. Uh, and the more substantial the effect, the more the mind game, uh, you know, Tywin being, you know, probably the pinnacle of that mind game because of how crazy his effect is and how how potent it is but you know even something as little as you know a varus token you know i guess what i'm getting at unless the opportunity truly presents itself just try not to fly through any of those effects that that even counts Tycho too if you know you have one unit that is down unless you're afraid the unit's about to die you know Tycho's that effect you know it's only once per game so use it when it it literally is going to change the game in the sense that a unit that would have died is now back to you know back to fighting uh, power, and your opponent who thought they were going to get away with killing something, getting a point, and being free to move around and not be bogged down. It's just stuff like that that really shows the power of these effects that uh, have limited uses to them. Yep. Yeah, I so think you. we kind of got. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying it was that was a good good summation. So I know we kind of got a little off topic there, talking about a lot of this stuff. So we'll we'll end out the show like I did with the other uh, um, with Craig and Cyrus. So what would you say is your MVP of your between both lists? We'll say and maybe a honorable mention MVP. Um, absolutely MVP with, without doubt is the Dario Swarm brothers. Um, they, they did everything I imagined that they would do. And then some, um, yeah, just, uh, that's so much damage and that's so hard. That's so hard to come by in 2021 unless you really, really pay for it. Um, those Sworn Brothers with Dario at eight points combined with For the Watch, 
it's just such a bargain. You get so much killing out of them. And even if you get charged and you start engaged, that Sworn Brothers order uh, to get the rerolls and make them vulnerable, it's just so nasty. Um, it's kind of hard to even choose what to do when you're playing him. You know, you want to go bog him down, but at the same time, you don't want to get hit, uh, especially if it's a situation where you can activate do re-rolls, make them vulnerable, and then Night's Watch players going first the next round and can just take the swords and do it to you again. Uh, yeah, he's just so nasty. There's not many things in the game um, outside of luck that, that take two attacks like that without healing in between and they survive. It's There's just not much that can do it. Um, dragons are one-shottable. Anyways, Dario, number one MVP, Dario and Sworn Brothers. Number two, um, probably a close one, but I I would honestly say it's Ghost. Um, I know that, you know, Dire Wolves are a point of contention right now, but they are still really nasty. They're fast. Um, you put a little bit of resource into them, get them into flanks and rears. Uh, they do a ton of damage. Um, four attack dice, hitting on threes with thundering. Might not seem much, but when you start taking off ranks with that attack, you're reducing attack dice normally to five for most units. Uh, if it's a unit that's hitting on fours, five dice on fours, they're going to have a really hard time killing that dire wolf. Um, I think Ghost in particular has some advantages because he gets the benefit of the cards that are on John. So you can be blocking a hit with Shield of the Realms of Men. You can go up to five attack dice because of Sword in the Darkness. Um, things like this really um, juice up Ghost and make him a lot stronger. But um, he was really, really clutch um, just at going and intercepting things, um, sitting on objectives when I needed him to do that. Uh, it's still a three-point unit. Getting you a point is pretty helpful. But, yeah, he's, he was really clutch in going to hunt things like Stormcrow archers. And, um, you know, he was a big contributor to getting rid of those flayed men that charged Dario because I was able to get him into the rear, and that's a lot of that. I mean, it pushes the flayed men to a six-plus defense. So um, Dario and then Ghost, both, both from the John list, that's probably because I played it more. I think in my game with Othel, the Flayed Men were the most important because they didn't really kill much. They didn't really do a whole lot, but he put bribery on the Flayed Men instead of the Archers, so that was huge. And um, the Flayed Men kind of just, he put resources into them, which kept resources from being put into the crossbows. So they might even be tied with ghosts, I guess just for that reason, because the mobility, the body blocking, and how scary they are, he put resources into them and left the crossbows basically un, unhindered. Awesome. And so as we kind of close out and finish up here, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask, so what would you say is like the number one highlight of the weekend? Um, just anything in general. It could be the, you know, the tournament within it or outside of the tournament. Uh, getting, <laughs> it was definitely, um, getting, uh, Robert to give me a high five. <laughs> <laughs> I 
getting, getting, <laughs> getting Robert Fulkerson to give me a high five. I wasn't expecting that, but uh, I definitely that that's going to be on my bucket list now. It, it sounds like uh, <laughs> is there like an inside joke for that or no? Uh, well, I mean, it was funny, but um, he, he had been kind of wa- he'd been kind of wandering around and watching the games happen and, and seeing what was going on. Well, Robert actually knows a little bit about the game, you know, of course. He, he knows rules. He knows how the game works. So he came over to Dakota and I's table right as I used Awful on the money bags to shoot Dakota's red cloak. I ended up doing three wounds to them, and then they failed their panic test and took three more. So as he walks by, he sees six red cloaks getting removed, and he was like, whoa, what just happened? I was like, oh, I got him. <laughs> and he kind of looked at the tactics board. The money bag was you know, the swords were still open and he's like, what did you shoot him with? <laughs> I was like, I shot him with awful. He was like, you don't have any archers or anything. Where did that shot come from? I was like, uh, yeah, awful. I guess he shot him from the wall somewhere. I don't know, but I, I shot the crap out of these red cloaks. And he was like, Oh my God. <laughs> did you imagine then, just no, awful I, like in a tree? <laughs> yeah. With no, a bow think, and arrow. I think more, <laughs> I think more accurately to describe it was he came over and saw the attack do the three wounds. Then he asked where the shot came from. Then Dakota crit failed the panic test and took three more, and that was when the high five happened. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Robert Robert was super cool the whole event. You now have to model your awful, like, in a tree with a bow and arrow. (laughs) I think I can arrange this. I think I can arrange it. <laughs> Maybe I, I, I could put, like, a, a bazooka on him or something, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something, something, you know. Just that way it I've doesn't do, seem, you know, so odd. <laughs> yeah, I've got to do, do something ridiculous for just the awful NCU model. I have another awful, so I can do that just for the NCU. <laughs> All right. So we're down to the wire here. We've only got a couple of minutes left. I I want to thank uh thank you for coming on, Brett, you know, and kind of giving us your the insight to, you know, your night's watch list and, you know, taking first place at the Nationals uh going 4-0. Um I can't remember the last time if ever you have lost a game in person at a at an actual event. Um <laughs> and the streak just keeps going. <laughs> I think you're like 40 and 0 now, and people think I'm exaggerating on that number, but that's actually pretty close to what the number is. Um, so, uh, um, but with that said, thank you all for listening in. I know this was definitely a bit longer one, longer than we expected it would be, but there is just so uh, so much to kind of talk about and to expand upon. You know, it's our first show. Uh, that wasn't covering, you know, something new that was revealed and speculation and kind of like our thoughts on it, you know, so it was a nice, nice change up there. And, uh, you know, the next, and the next show should be something similar. Uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back, back on track with that. Cause I know everyone's been kind of itching for more, more content like that. And I know I have, uh, again, thank you all for listening in. This is the small council radio and it is dismissed.
it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.